In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Lord teaches by describing the mystery of God as he sees it. He teaches by referring to historical events. He teaches by his actions, commenting on them afterwards. And he teaches by parables. Today he teaches us in a parable. It's easy to think that a parable is, a, is an easy example Right? He's not incriminating any one particular person. He's just pointing out the comparison between a Pharisee and a tax collector. Think about it, though. In order for our Lord to use this parable and for it to mean anything, it must be the case that he's actually impugning all the Pharisees. Or at least it has to be common knowledge that, yeah, that's pretty much how they are. Otherwise, we wouldn't be able to effectively make a point unless we cited something specific, something already known, or something demonstrable. Right? Nowadays, we might get in trouble for stereotyping if we compare, you know, a person um, who's like this versus a person who's like that, that sometimes won't work when we're talking to people. Sometimes we have to be more specific. But our Lord's making a point, and he always makes it effectively. And so there's a Pharisee, and there's a tax collector, and everyone pretty much agrees, yeah, that's how they are. The Pharisee stands and prays with pride. Thank you that I'm not like the rest of these people. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, like this tax collector. Thank you for how I fast twice a week and give 10% of all I possess. He's, He's a thankful soul. Gratitude is a a virtue, right? And it is, properly ordered. The tax collector, standing at a distance, looking down, not lifting his eyes up, striking his breast, be merciful to me, a sinner. Public figures, public sinners, one proud and one repentant. By the time we're about eight or nine, it's a little tired simply to say, I'm sorry. We all know I'm sorry aren't magic words. What proves that we're sorry is that we change, change our behavior. whether it be Zacchaeus or other tax collectors, the ones that we know by name who are mentioned in the gospel didn't just simply make a declaration, but actually changed their lives. 
Our Lord will use the Pharisees and other instances to demonstrate how to live, how not to live. Listen to what they teach, because they teach the truth, but don't follow their example. It goes along with other warnings, right? Whosoever shall humble himself as this little child, he is greater in the kingdom of heaven. And he that shall receive one such little child in my name receives me. Sounds like he could be talking about the tax collector, right? But he that shall scandalize one of these little ones that believe in me, it would be better for him that a millstone should be hanged around his neck and that he should be drowned in the depths of the sea. Woe to the world because of scandals. For it must needs be that scandals come, but nevertheless, woe to that man by whom the scandal comes. Sounds like he's talking about the Pharisee or people like the Pharisee. Does it mean, therefore, that we can never acknowledge sins that we've never committed? Obviously, the, the Pharisee's mistake isn't considering himself, estimating himself to be justified, judging himself to be clean, judging himself to be worthy to stand confidently in the presence of God, attesting to his Virtue. How is it that we can acknowledge I don't commit sins like those people, but I, that doesn't mean that I'm proud of myself? It's an, an important distinction to make because as, as scandals come, and Jesus said they must come, so as scandals come, How do people who are guilty of small sins, just venial sins, just accidental venial sins, realize that there is a world of difference? They don't have to be completely pure, completely clean, completely perfect in order to take others to task, in order to hold them accountable. It's actually very important, and, and the Gospels and the New Testament give us several examples of distinguishing between mortal sin and venial sin. For any number of good reasons. As much as there are those who um, have been told by me or by others that if, if you suffer scrupulosity... If you, if, you, if you suffer that, that malady, the, the, the typical homily and the typical spiritual reading, you must ignore because they're not meant for, for someone who, who can't distinguish between the, the little things and the big things. I'm giving you permission to listen to the next five minutes. It's really important that we have the ability to distinguish between little sins and big sins. So here in in Matthew chapter 18, we just heard a little bit. He talks about 
whatever it is that, that causes scandal or that does scandalize, you know, to remove it completely. He's obviously using language that's so, um, so graphic that it, it's obviously symbolic. If thy hand or thy foot scandalize thee, cut it off and cast it from thee. It is better for thee to go into life maimed or lame than having two hands or two feet to be cast into everlasting fire. If thy eye scandalize thee, pluck it out and cast it from thee. It is better for thee having one eye to enter into life than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Our Lord is talking about those things that might deprive you of salvation. Those things that, that are leading you astray. Those things that are likely to lead you astray. Those things that usually do lead you to committing serious sin. Which means more than 50% of the time. Avoid them altogether. But our Lord isn't saying everything that might cause you to accidentally commit a mortal, to, rather, to commit a venial sin. Absolutely have nothing to do with it whatsoever. Because life then would be impossible. Another reason why it's totally critical to be able to distinguish between venial sin and mortal sin is that inhibition that we so easily have to take others to task, to hold them accountable because we think, well, I'm just as guilty myself. And the Lord wants us to be able to correct each other. He wants us to be able to hold each other accountable. He gives us instructions about how to do that. Pull them aside. Correct them privately. If they ignore you, bring them to another. If they ignore them, bring them to the priest. If they ignore them, treat them like you would a tax collector, which is still with charity, but making no bones about their actually being in communion with you. Don't trust them. And how does our Lord instruct us to prepare for that? Take the plank out of your eye first, and then you can help your brother with the speck in his eye. He doesn't say, make sure you remove all the little specks out of your eye, and then you can help your brother with the specks in his eye. None of us will be perfect enough to be able to chastise each other the way we might by an angel or by the Blessed Virgin Mary or by God himself. Fraternal correction will be done by those who are imperfect, those who are, yes, guilty of sins, but there's a world of difference between the little sins that we'll expect to happen because we still suffer the scars of original sin and those terrible sins that simply cannot be tolerated in the church. St. Paul will give clear example about instruction to bishops in the letter to Timothy, how to, how to hold accountable those priests who are guilty of sin. Don't believe an accusation made by one person. But if you have two witnesses and the priest is guilty, then punish him publicly. 
so that the other presbyters will be chastened by it. And we know that St. Paul had harsh words for apostles, for bishops as well, not just priests. Right? If anyone teaches you anything other than the gospel we preach to you, anathema sit, let him be accursed. Galatians 1. How do we then stand before God? Going back to that notion of how, how, do I, how do I stand before God and pray and acknowledge, I haven't committed these sins. I mean, I have committed sins. I'm not perfect. But I haven't committed those sins. How do I do that without being guilty of what the Pharisee did? How do we do that? Right? You, you, you see your, your sibling treating his spouse poorly. You have to take him to task. And you know he's going to say, well, I've heard you raise your voice once. Yes, it's true. I'm not perfect. Never mind that. We have something more serious to deal with here. How do priests take each other to task, knowing that, no, I'm not perfect. I still go to confession, but there's a world of difference between what I'm dealing with and what you need to root out or get out. I think St. Paul gives us the example. So let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Let a man show account of us as of the ministers of Christ and the dispensers of the mysteries of God. Here now it is required among the dispensers that a man be found faithful. But to me, it is a very small thing to be judged by you or by man's day. But neither do I judge my own self. For I am not conscious to myself of anything, yet am I not hereby justified. But he that judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge not before the time until the Lord come, who both will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and will make manifest the counsels of the hearts. And then shall every man have praise from God. But these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollo for your sakes, that unless you may learn that one may not be puffed up against the other for another above that which is written. He acknowledges he doesn't hold himself guilty of anything, but it doesn't mean he considers himself innocent. He's not a perfect man, but he's not guilty of those things. He takes no credit for his being able to be free of those sins, even though he knows only God will actually see perfectly his soul and see perfectly all of his affections and all of his mind and all of his intentions, let alone all of his actions and words. God will judge that. Surely over the last few days, the words of 
St. Peter Damien have caught your attention. And we'll have to translate this to a degree. Any cleric or monk who uh, is found guilty of grave, de- grave delect with youngers like him shall be publicly flogged, shall lose his clerical tonsure. Thus shorn he has, she shall be disgraced by spitting into his face, bound in iron chains, wasted by six months of close confinement, and for three days each week put on barely bread given him toward even. Following this period, he shall spend a further six months living in a small segregated courtyard in the custody of a spiritual elder, kept busy with manual labor and prayer, subjected to vigils and prayers, forced to walk at all times in the company of two spiritual brothers, never again allowed to associate with those among whom he was found guilty. St. Paul gives instructions in a similar way, and our Lord gives warnings uh, about those who are teaching the truth but not living it, or even those who will lead the young astray such that um, it would be better for them never to have been born. This sadness isn't new, and and, and the remedy also is not new. The the mystery of iniquity is threaded into the holy sacrifice of the Mass as we reflect on what happened at the Last Supper. And so we, we, we stand before the Lord, not innocent, But begging, Lord, to have mercy on all of us, for we are all sinners, and some of us are worse than others. That those who who commit sin such that they lead others astray may be reminded of how our Lord described the punishment that they deserve. And we pray that those who represent Christ, especially bishops and priests and deacons and moms and dads and godparents, sisters, brothers, catechists, every baptized and Christian person, everybody who wears a cross, that they bring no shame to our Lord and bring no sadness to Our Lady's Immaculate Heart. And so we can give thanks to the Lord that He doesn't abandon us all as we deserve, that He continues to pour out His grace and His mercy, and that His judgment will come and that he, as he permits death to visit us at a proper time, 
we may be chastened and prepared and found to be in communion with him. Reminded in the collect about how our Lord's almighty power is most obviously manifested. We ask the Lord then, who does manifest thine almighty power most chiefly in sparing and showing mercy, multiply upon us thy mercy, that as we hasten towards thy promises, thou mayst make us partakers of the heavenly treasures. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with thee in the unity of the Holy Ghost, God, world without end. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.